Evidence and Answers. Homosexuality. What does the Bible say about it? Aren't we to love everyone and just accept people for who they are? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat will be discussing the topic of homosexuality and take us on a journey through Scripture, not to input our opinion, but what God's Word says about this subject. Without delay, here's Pat now. Uh, The reason we need to highlight this one is that it is one of those that's clearly a sinful lifestyle in the Bible, yet in our culture it is now becoming an accepted alternative lifestyle. And so that's one of the reasons why we need to highlight this one and really talk about it. It's not that the gay lifestyle is one that we really dislike and therefore we're going to go after. You know, if racism, which is a sin, was becoming an accepted lifestyle here in the United States, we would be talking about that as well. It's just that this is one of those issues that has become an accepted alternative lifestyle and we need to address it because we're deviating from what the Bible teaches and allowing a sinful lifestyle now to be accepted as the norm. You know, people are still interested in what the Bible has to say. Now, perhaps in a post-Christian society, and what a lot of commentators are calling an anti-Christian society, the Bible doesn't have as, uh, as much weight as it once did in our culture, but it still carries a lot of weight. It still packs a wallop. And I think the homosexual community would be interested to know what the Bible has to say about their behavior. Right, and as much as, you know, we all have friends in the gay community and really love them, the most loving thing to do is point out sin and not compromise on that issue. In a loving way, just really point it out. James 5.19 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. So the most loving thing to do is to lovingly confront the issue of sin and deal with it instead of just kind of brushing it on the, under the carpet and, and kind of ignoring it. It's really addressing it and dealing with it from what the Bible says. Well, then, Pat, does, does the Bible state clearly that homosexual behavior is a sin? Yes, that's a topic that's debated a lot today. You see in the news, uh, many people are trying to reinterpret uh, what the Bible says on this whole issue. I remember speaking at a university in a dormitory, a male dormitory, and this was the music dormitory. And I didn't know I was speaking in the uh, music dormitory at the time. It was called the Lion's Den, where I give a presentation for about 20 minutes. And then we just open it up for questions for about an hour. And one of the questions, one of the first questions was, is homosexuality a sin? And not being familiar with my audience, I just casually said, well, yes, the Bible says that it's a sin. Well, nearly a riot broke out. I mean, I thought they were going to take me outside and lynch me or something, (laughs) you know. But uh, that's how heated uh, the topic is today. Now, the Bible makes it clear that, yes, the gay lifestyle is sin. Genesis 1 and 2 Uh, homosexuality, you know, violates the created order and pattern for male and female roles in marriage. God designed marriage and the union in marriage to be between a male and female. God makes clear the specific roles for Adam or the man and 
for Eve, for the females, that she is to be a helpmate and makes it clear what their role, gender roles are going to be. God could have created, you know, two men or multiple men for Adam, but he did not. He created a female, and that is the uh, order in which he created things. And marriage, therefore, is to be a monogamous relationship between uh, male and female. Yeah, Jesus. Just, mm-hmm. just when you look at it, Pat, the, the only model in the Bible for marriage for this kind of relationship is, is male and female. Right, and in order to fill, fulfill uh, God's command to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, uh, that's something only a male and female couple can do. Two males are not able to do that. And in Matthew 19, you know, Jesus affirms that marriage be monogamous between male and female in Matthew 19. So homosexual marriage would go against the design that God created in creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Also, you've got uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Before we go to Genesis 19, Pat, I was going to tell you that Joe Dallas, who is a former homosexual activist who came to Christ and now um, uh, helps people come out of homosexuality, says that uh, we as Christians need to quit using the God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. The reason he says that we need to quit using that, even though it's true, is that it's worn out and it uh, really throws up a wall if you're trying to reach the homosexual community, that it's worn out and has been done. But we always think of that. But but actually, that is the biblical model that the New Testament affirms, and that is male and female. Right, but that's anyway, correct. Genesis 19 you were talking about. Right, Genesis 19 uh, talks about the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it highlights that these were indeed very sinful cities, and that God was going to judge them. And so he sent two angels to visit the city of Sodom to see if they were as wicked and worthy of his judgment, of destruction. And the two angels go there and visit, and Lot, as you know, the story brings them into his home. Well, the men of the city come that night and demand that Lot bring out the two visitors and uh, we pick up a story here in Genesis 19. It says, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Or some translations read, so that we can know them. In other words, these men were seeking to have sex with these two visitors. And that's the sin that's highlighted here in this story. Yeah, the King James Version says know them, but that is an idiom for hump for sex. Right. Right. The Hebrew word there is yada. And in Genesis, uh, it's used 12 times. But of those 12 times, 10 times, it means to have intercourse with. Wow. Okay. And Sodom is condemned for many sins, but the sin of sexual perversion, homosexuality, is the one that's highlighted here. Now, there are those who try to reinterpret this text to say, well, the sin of Sodom was really the sin of inhospitality. When they came out and said, we want to know these men, they weren't talking about sex. They were talking about interrogating these men. We want to figure out who they are. Are they spies? And so many would reinterpret this text to mean it was the sin of inhospitality, not uh, homosexual, the act of homosexuality that it's talking about. Mm. Yet, uh, if, if you look at how the term yada or to know is used in the Old Testament, 
uh, it's referring to a sexual act. And if you look at the context of the story, it's the only one that makes sense. The man come out and said, bring them out to us so that we may have sex with them or that we may, we may know them. Well, then Lot's response, if it was just simply we want to interrogate them, Lot's response wouldn't make any sense. Lot went outside to meet them, shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, do not do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have not slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them uh, whatever you like. Wow. So it wouldn't make any sense for him to offer his daughters and say, here, you can interrogate them. You know, that doesn't make any sense. It's all in a sexual connotation. Yeah. Right. He's saying these are two women who have not known a man, who have not had sex with a man. So this whole uh, idea that it's talking about inhospitality, is, it's not a very valid argument by those who try to reinterpret this text. Also, Jude chapter 7 gives a commentary. You know, Jude is uh, one of the books in the New Testament, gives a commentary on this story. Jude verse 7. Yeah, yeah. Jude verse 7. And it states that the sin of Sodom was that of sexual immorality, wow. which God judged the city. So to reinterpret this as uh, it was a sin of inhospitality, you really, it, it, that's a very weak argument. The traditional argument of it being sexual sin of homosexuality is the correct one. By the way, Pat, a lot of commentators have pointed out that uh, what Lot did there wasn't necessarily the right thing. It was just it seemed to be an act of desperation. The Bible just records what Lot did, and he was willing to give up his own daughters to be raped before these two men who were guests in his home would be so violated. Maybe he noticed something special about them, being that they were angels and so forth or, or whatever. But he maybe even act, acted, uh, a lot of people think, in a cowardly way. If that were the case, the Bible simply records it, not necessarily condones what he did. Right, exactly. But there is a sexual connotation going on here. Right. That's and, the point. Right, and that's the only one that makes sense in this whole story. Right. Also, we have the passage from Leviticus chapter 18. If you look at the verse 22, it says, Do not lie with the man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. And so we have here in the Old Testament law, the men sleeping together is a sin. And it says here, that is detestable. That is repeated again in Leviticus chapter 20, calls that a sin that is detestable to the Lord. Many of those who try to say this law does not apply are trying to make the argument that this only applies to the nation of Israel and those under the Old Testament law. Those of us under the New Testament law of grace, this no longer applies. Oh, we can do it now. <laughs> right. In other words, yeah, they couldn't do it then, but we're not under the theocracy anymore, so we can have homosexual relations. Exactly. And and, they, and many will uh, try to argue and say, you know, do you eat shellfish? Do you wear polyester? You know, do you still sacrifice animals at the temple? Well, you know, if you, if you don't obey these laws, why does this one still apply? And uh, one of the things about Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 is that these are universal and apply for all times. You know, look at the structure of the book of Leviticus, you know, 1 through 17 deal with ritual ceremony. 18 has nothing to do with ceremony, but 
moral standards. Ah, okay. talking about sexual relation, you it forbids sexual relations with your daughter-in-law, with your brother's wife, with your father's wife. This comes up all the time, Pat, and that is if we're going to no longer hold to some of the prohibitions in the Old Testament, then why are we still holding to its prohibitions against? Homosexuality. Pat, uh, you were talking about uh, the Old Testament law, Leviticus 18, Genesis uh, 19, and others. Uh, in particular, the Levitical law that says not to engage in sexual behavior with a man if you are a man. A man should not lie with a man as one does with a woman. Just uh, kind of reviewing what we were talking about is, if you're going to say that, then we can't eat shellfish, sacrifice animals, because those things are also from the Old Testament. Right, and that that's a good point, you know. But uh, a lot of the ritual and ceremonial laws are fulfilled in Christ. But there are certain laws that are stated in the Old Testament that are trans-temporal. They are for all time. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why this... Uh, because the, they're, they're moral? Right. Is that it? And okay. also, they are repeated once again in the New Testament law. Oh. And some are even superseded there. Uh, Christ... Um, makes it even stronger. You know, he says, the law says, you shall not murder, but I say to you, you know, if you call a man a fool, you've just as well murdered him in your heart. So Christ takes it even one step farther. So, uh, and Romans chapter 7 is pretty clear on that, that the Old Testament law, all of it has been fulfilled in Christ. And so we're under the new covenant and the new covenant uh, so what Old Testament laws are we under? Well, we're under the Old Testament laws that Christ and the apostles repeat in the New Covenant. And indeed, uh, this Leviticus 18 passage is repeated once again by Paul uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, large sections of it. Also, in this Leviticus uh, 18 passage, Paul um, Moses is writing here, and uh, he says that a man should not lie with another man as he would a woman that is detestable to the Lord. Now, the Hebrew word there is to'eva. And it's repeated again in Leviticus chapter 20. It says, if a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their heads. Now, it's interesting that detestable follows the sin of two men sleeping together. It doesn't follow the other sins. Now, the reason... It's not a, an abomination to eat shellfish. That was just uh, for ceremonial purity. Right. And the reason uh, Moses adds that is because it goes against the very character of God's holiness and his created order. Uh, therefore, you know, you know it's a universal, uh, trans-temporal kind of command because it goes against the very character of God. So homosexuality, you know, goes against the created order, Genesis one and two before the law is given. Homosexuality is condemned in Genesis nineteen before the law is given. And then under the Mosaic law, Leviticus eighteen and twenty, homosexuality once again is pointed out to be a sin that is toeva, you know, an abomination or detestable. To the Lord because it goes against his very character. Now, even if you want to argue, well, the Old Testament law is fulfilled in Christ, we're under the new covenant. Once again, you know, the uh, laws that are repeated in the New Testament, they are part of the new covenant. And Paul makes it clear in Romans 
chapter 1 that homosexuality is still a sin uh, even under the new covenant. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember when I was speaking in that dorm, uh, they were trying to throw out several arguments about you know, the Old Testament law and we're no longer under the Old Testament law. You can't use the Old Testament law. And so I turned right to uh, Romans chapter 1. All of Romans chapter 1 is talking about God's righteousness mm -hmm. and how his righteousness is revealed by judgment upon mankind. And here in verse 18 begins, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So it's talking about judgment, judgment on mankind for their sin. And one of the sins that's highlighted here again in verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Then it says here, for this reason, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Well, what are these shameful lusts? says, even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Hmm. Now, Paul makes it clear here. Natural relations, men with women. Unnatural relations it's men with men or women with women so natural is a heterosexual relationship unnatural is uh, the gay lifestyle so Paul here is once again you know even under the new covenant uh, saying that homosexuality is a sin so it's very important Pat that uh, if something is repeated in uh, the New Testament, from the Old Testament. We really need to look at that and there are moral ramifications. Even as I read Leviticus 20, it looks to me like even the pagans, even those outside of Israel, were not to engage in those things. Right. That's why, you know, it's a universal command because God not only condemns the Israelites, he also, you know, condemns those nations around who don't have the Mosaic law for these indecent acts, which include homosexuality. And so God is holding these nations accountable as well. So therefore, it's universal and, and trans-temporal. You, you make a great point there. Well, we have a mess on our hands, Pat, because uh, homosexuality is just front and center uh, in the news and the entertainment industry. And uh, people are encouraged to embrace it if you are so predispositioned and that it's uh, there's nothing wrong with it. And uh, so we see a real culture war coming up. We're going to be speaking with Kirby Anderson on this uh, topic here and, uh, next weekend. But, boy, there's a real culture war going on, isn't there? Yeah, and it's coming down to uh, also an issue of hermeneutics, you know, trying to reinterpret not only the Constitution, but also applying new laws of hermeneutics to the Bible, you know, reinterpreting the Bible. You know, one of the arguments here against Romans chapter 1 is a lot of the reinterpreters are saying, well, Paul is just talking about a specific sin of homosexuality, male prostitution, or uh, men with boys. But he's not talking about homosexuality in general, you know, as a general practice. Yeah, homosexuals in a committed relationship or, or a mature relationship or something like that. 
Right, right. Romans chapter one, we we can it that's a very weak argument to say it only applies to the specific, you know, because um uh, Romans chapter one is talking about other sins as well. The whole context is talking about the condemnation of mankind. It talks about the sin of gossip, murder, slanders, mm. you know, arrogant, boastful, disobedience to parents. You know, so he's talking about a whole host of sins. Pat, you and I uh, not long ago had a chance to be in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul together, speaking uh, at a conference. And just a few days before you and I were there, the Episcopal Church had met and the controversy over electing an openly gay bishop had just been approved and uh, was a landmark thing in uh, the Christian Church and the Episcopal Church. Should that concern Christians? All over the world, even if you're not Episcopalian? Yes, it should. You know, here is the second biggest Christian denomination in the world, probably the biggest Protestant denomination in the world. I have a lot of good friends who belong to the Episcopal Church. In fact, I went to an Episcopal high school, so I've got a lot of dear friends in the Episcopal Church. Uh, and it should concern us because here you have one of the largest churches in the world no longer taking a stand that homosexuality is a sin, allowing it to be an accepted alternative lifestyle, even you know appointing a bishop who is openly gay. And so that should have a tremendous concern uh, when you see the church beginning to accept what is clearly in the Bible sin and accepting that as an alternative lifestyle, appointing leaders who live that kind of sinful lifestyle. Uh, that should have Christians concerned all over the world. And, you know, uh, denominations, as you can see, many others are beginning to follow. And there are debates in numerous other Protestant and other Christian denominations now debating this whole issue. And so it should really have us concerned, this appointment of this gay bishop. Now, we uh, have done some shows here, and there are some resources from a former homosexual who is now in Christian ministry, and he's married with with, uh, uh, with children, and he counsels people who are in homosexual behavior to uh, to leave that behavior and to come to Christ now. And so we have a lot of good uh, resources available. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, lists a whole bunch of s- sinful lifestyles and includes homosexual offenders. But Paul ends the verse by saying, and that is what some of you were. And so even the Corinthians, many of them entrapped in the gay lifestyle, were able to come out of it as a result of the power of Christ. And so uh, there is hope for those in the gay lifestyle. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes Pat's study on homosexuality. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. Log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit their website, at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online 
for more evidence and answers.